Well, my name is Gary Hansen. I've had the honor and privilege of being a pastor here, like Pastor Suzanne said, for a little over six years now. And uh, I just remembered uh, we had an outdoor service over at the Meredith Drive campus one beautiful summer night, and I was getting all nervous to get up and, and say anything, and I leaned over to Skylar and said, why do I do this to myself? And she said, well, Dad, you're not too bright. Please pray with me. <laughs> o come, O come, Emmanuel. It's what our hearts long for this morning. O come, God with us. Take on flesh and dwell among us. Remind us again of who you are and who you have created us to be. As the light pours into this sanctuary, Lord, we are reminded that you are indeed the God who keeps his promises to his people. That from the very beginning when you proclaimed this creation to be so very good, when you created us in your image, Male and female, you created us to reflect your goodness and your glory. Lord, we have drifted far from that first garden home, and yet you seek us out. You continue to call us by name. You invite us into your redemptive and restorative work, and for that we bless you and praise you. We thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises to your people, that you have come, Emmanuel, and that you are here with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we can remind one another in our fellowship with one another, with our fellowship with our families and our friends. We thank you for this season the season of anticipation, when we look forward to the promises that are yet to be kept, the promises that are just as sure as your promises of old, that you will come again, that you will make everything new, that you are preparing a place for us so that we might dwell forever in eternity with you. Lord, you have given us that light of salvation so that we need not be afraid. You have given us that assurance, that peace that passes all understanding so that our lives can be filled with, with purpose and hope and meaning and direction. And you have done that for us. When we are as little as the infant that we look at in the manger, when there is nothing that we could do to deserve it or earn it, we love only because you first loved us. So, Lord, this morning as we wander about like the shepherds of old, as we lose our way and go astray, we pray that you will draw us back once again. And like those disciples of old who didn't know how to pray, you have taught us. So together we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I remember back to the beginning of my time here, and 
Pastor Suzanne set into motion this, this weekly rhythm when the pastors would gather together. She would, she would ask questions. They were good questions, but one question that she would send my way, I, I always left her scratching her head, I think, in, in response, because she would ask me, Gary, what would you think of worship on Sunday? And I'd say, uh, we did the work. I don't think she knew what to do with that response, but it's deeply ingrained within me that that is what this is. That is what this gathering is. Whether you're in the room this morning or if you're worshiping from somewhere afar, we are here to do the work that we have been invited to do, the work that we have been created to do, the work that we have been made to do. Somehow, some way, the, the Holy Spirit has called each of us by name to be a part of this larger work this redemptive, restorative work, this making all things new sort of work. And it is the work of, of worship that we gather together in this rhythm that was provided in the very beginning, the Sabbath set aside for the people created in the image of God to be able to recognize, recognize the fullness of what God is up to, and to be welcomed into a reminder in that rhythm, that weekly rhythm, that our lives are not our own, that we're a part of something so much bigger, so much deeper, so much wider than we could even dare to imagine. So this morning, as long as my voice holds up, we're going to enter into that work again. We're going to enter into the work of listening, listening to the Word and listening to one another. And as the prophet of old reminds us, so often that listening requires not paying attention to the quaking of the earth or a mighty rushing wind, but so often what we listen for is what we find in the manger, what we find in that still, small voice, that whisper in, in the quiet of this season. We listen for Emmanuel this morning. <clears throat> we listen together. So into this space, I invite you to consider, to consider that you have a part in this story. It's a story that we've been hearing all throughout Advent, that you are a part of not just the story that you are living out in your small individual life, but you are a part of a bigger story. You are a part of a bigger redemptive work. You are a part of what the shepherds were a part of. As we hear Luke tell the story in his second chapter, beginning at verse 8, hear the word of the Lord. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in, in May of 2023, I'll have been a pastor for 20 years. 
And as a pastor, you get invited into all sorts of, of wild situations. You, you get invited into spaces and, and contexts that I could have never even imagined when I began this journey. I'm invited into places that I, I will never forget. I, I remember the very first pastoral visit I did was to a man who had just had his gallstone removed. And he decided that the best way to introduce himself to this new pastor was to display said gallstones on the kitchen table and then ask me if I want a cup of coffee. <laughs> I told Art I would pass on the coffee and I would rather appreciate it if he removed the gallstones. Well, we had a time of prayer together. I've been invited into spaces with families that were at the very depth of their pain and, and suffering. I've stood in spaces of great joy and excitement with the welcoming of a, of a new child or the start of a, of a new marriage. As a pastor, you, you get to walk alongside and you get to walk with ordinary, everyday folks, and then you realize something. And I've realized it here with you as well. That actually, the, the mystery of all mysteries is that none of us live ordinary lives. None of us live lives of insignificance. None of our lives are, are somehow just a part of, of the faceless mob that sometimes we feel like we can get lost in. Each of our lives are, are fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and pastors get invited into that reality and for that invitation, I am so very grateful. I'm grateful for the way that we have done the work, the work of being the body of Christ together in the times of joy and in the times of sorrow, in the times of pain and in the times of excitement. But I've come to realize, I've come to realize that usually it's in those places of pain, those places of, of doubt, those places of uncertainty in our lives, that we are drawn the closest together. And I'm grateful that in this Christmas story, the story that we've been hearing again and again, the story that we know quite well by now, there's a place for, for holding the fullness of what it means to be a human being when the angels proclaim to the shepherds. Now, the shepherds were the outcasts of that time and that culture. They were the, the low folks on the totem pole. They were out doing the job that no one else wanted to do. And yet, it's to the shepherds that this good news, this great joy is proclaimed. And yet, I'm so grateful that, that Luke provides a detail, and then the angels speak into the reality that when the veil gets torn, when, when these shepherds who are out just doing their jobs, leading their lives that seem so ordinary, when the veil is torn and the angelic hosts reveal themselves, Luke says that the shepherds responded the way that you and I and everyone else throughout all the history of humanity responds when we see the fullness of the glory of God. They were terrified. You and I would be terrified because you and I our, are terrified. We have in our lives 
not only stories of the past, but current realities when we look into the future that fill us with anticipation and joy and excitement while simultaneously we are filled with doubt and question and fear. We're terrified by the possibility, the possibility that we might not know what is around the next corner, the possibility that we might not be able to sustain for ourselves this life that, that we have been given, the possibility that the loved ones that we journey with might not be able to journey with us any longer. I'll name the reality that for me, as a result of my time here coming to an end, I, I don't know what 2023 is going to hold. And there is a mix of excitement and anticipation, and I appreciate the ways in which so many of you have reminded me of God's faithfulness. But simultaneously, there is fear, there is uncertainty, there is unknown, and maybe you are in that same space as well this morning. It's the space where the shepherds dwelt. They were terrified when they saw that something bigger is at work when the angels made themselves known to those shepherds. They didn't know what to do. So if you don't know what to do this morning, you're in good company. If you don't know what your future holds, that's okay. It's a part of this story. And into that terror, into that space that, that we all occupy, the good news and the great joy is, is made known. It's made known in the most mysterious of ways. The possibility, the mystery of Christmas is that God makes himself vulnerable to us in ways that don't pull us out of the hard times. They don't pull us out of our uncertainty and our fears. Christmas isn't about pulling us out of reality. Christmas is all about God breaking into our reality. I'll say that again because I think it's something we need to hear as a people collectively. Christmas is not about being pulled out of the pain and the suffering, the confusion and the uncertainty. Christmas is about God's faithfulness to meet you, to meet me, to meet us in our uncertainty, in our fear, in the fullness of our lives. And that promise, that promise that spoke to you in a still small voice and invited you into this space this morning, that promise, Luke tells us, through the voice of the angels, that good news, that great joy that is made available in the midst of our fear and our uncertainty, that good news is for all people. All people. All people everywhere. All people from the beginning of time to the end of time. All people. Red, yellow, black, and white. All people. Gay and straight. All people. Rich and poor. All people. Christmas is for all people. And for those of us who find ourselves hearing those words this morning in this space, I hope that strikes your ears as such good news. I hope it strikes your ears that it is such a beautiful invitation that has been extended to everyone who has been created in the image of God. 
but I also know that sometimes we are wired in such a way that we think that if the good news is for all people, then it somehow threatens our understanding of our own unique beauty, our own unique worth. That if somehow this good news is, is watered down for all the folks who we know, we know what happens during the week, we, we know all the ways in which not only do we fall short, but we can see the shortcomings of our brothers and sisters day in and day out. But I wonder, I wonder if the way that we are led to Bethlehem, to the manger scene, to the innocence of a, of a newborn child, to the promises that are made when a, when a baby is baptized in this space, that although we do nothing to deserve it, the love that we experience in life, and this is for each and every one of us, for every single human being, the love that we experience is a gift that has been given to us. We have done nothing to deserve it. We have done nothing to earn it. It is an invitation that is extended to all people. Early on in my time here, when we were still called Meredith Drive Reform Church, I started listening to the way that people interacted and talked to one another. And I heard a phrase that was repeated again and again and again, and I think it has a, a depth to it that is representative of what God has done in and through this congregation because you all would remind each other on a regular basis that we are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. I heard it everywhere. I heard it in all sorts of conversations, and I thought, well, that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing to be reminded. And I looked around and I saw all the blessings, all the external blessings that were evident. And I thought, what a good thing to, to remind one another that those blessings that we have received are intended, are intended to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But the longer I, I found myself wrestling with what my role might be here as pastor among this people, I began to wonder. I began to wonder, what if, what if that saying was tweaked just a little bit? What if in those spaces where we don't experience blessing, in those places in which we know that the, the blessings that we have aren't the very depth of, of who we are, what if we were to remind one another that we are, in fact, broken to be a blessing. That it is our brokenness that unites us with all people. That no one who walks the face of this earth gets a free pass from the pain and the suffering, from the feeling of, of isolation and loneliness. No one who walks the face of this earth doesn't experience brokenness in some way, shape, or form. It is in our brokenness that we are united with one another. It's in our brokenness that Jesus dwells with us as Emmanuel took on flesh, entered into the brokenness of humanity. We are broken so that we might be a blessing. Throughout the discernment process this, this past year, I had an opportunity to sit around table and be a part of conversations. They were deep conversations. They were hard conversations. 
but they were worthwhile conversations. And, and I had someone ask me if, if I could share what my hope would be for this church going forward. And I heard myself say something, and then I realized, oh, I really believe that. I really believe that with every fiber of my being. And what I heard myself say was, was this. My hope for the bridge my hope is that out of all of this wrestling, out of all of this churning, out of all of this discernment work, that we would be able to name why we believe what we believe and be willing to admit that we might be wrong. I think that's the space that we occupy when we dwell with the shepherds, that space where there's an awareness of this big story that we are being invited into, the, the good news and the great joy. But when it's spread out for all people, when the shepherds went about sharing what they saw, what they heard, they faced all sorts of doubt. They faced all sorts of pushback. They faced all sorts of uncertainty within themselves of, of whether or not what the angels said actually happened. They're human just like you and I. They aren't sure what it all means or what it all points to. An ability to be honest about the fullness of what it means to hold on to the, the deep beliefs that we work to hold on to as the people of God, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus to this lost and broken world that God loves so very much. That's a high calling that we have been invited into that has been placed upon the body of Christ. But the humility, the humility that is on display in the Christmas story, the humility of a babe in a manger, the humility of a child, a newborn crying in full vulnerability, the reality that the Christ child had his diapers changed is a part of what is provided for all people. All of us are that vulnerable. All of us are in need of that sort of provision and care. It's the cycle of life that we enter into, that we become not more and more independent, we become more and more vulnerable as we age. It's the beauty of the fullness of life, that there is an ability to receive good news and great joy in the midst of what can be terrifying at times. I remember when I was a, a little boy growing up at the First Reformed Church in, in Baldwin, Wisconsin, I had all these questions swirling through me as I sat in those pews week after week, hearing sermon after sermon. I didn't understand what it all meant. I knew that there was something bigger than myself that was at work in that place, and I was intrigued and drawn into it in, in a beautiful and wonderful way. But out of all those sermons and that weekly rhythm, what, what actually grabbed hold of me were the times that as a body, we would rise and lift our voices together. And for me, it was an articulation of what my hope is for this place, an ability to name what we believe and why we believe it and then to live it out with a humility that says, we might not have this all right. 
So I thought it would be appropriate that if you hear nothing else from me, that we together would do the work that we are called to do. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite us to rise and lift our voices in the Apostles' Creed. And when we say these words, these ancient words that unite believers, I hope that it is a reminder a reminder of Emmanuel, a reminder of God with us, a reminder that it is in our brokenness and in our frailty that any glimpse of what we might consider to be a certainty is actually held gently, is actually held with humility and grace so that our terror will coexist with the good news and great joy that is indeed for all people. So brothers and sisters, if you would please rise at this time and we'll remind one another why we are here and who we are together this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us, that these deep-seated beliefs that you have instilled within us, you invite us to hold on to lightly, just as our lives you have invited us to hold on to with deep conviction, but also with joy, with a lightness that acknowledges that, that our lives are not our own, that we belong body and soul and life and death to you, for you are our faithful Savior, that you have overcome the evil one in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father in heaven. And in fact, all things must work together for our salvation. Therefore, because we belong to you, you make us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for you. And that instills within us such great joy and anticipation for which we will forever be eternally grateful. For you have not forgotten us. And for that, we bless you and praise you this morning, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 